At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Explorers, welcome back to the Starfield Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. I'm one of the co-pilots of this uh, ship, I guess we've decided to call it. Dave isn't here today. He is celebrating a big event with his family right now. And so I am your solo pilot. Hopefully the uh, auto navigation kicks in if I pass out or something. I don't know. But here, here we are. It's another week. We've got another episode for you. And I am very excited to bring to you information. Because Todd Howard did another interview. It's only been a very short period of time since the Starfield Direct. And yet we are still getting new drops of information, new interviews with Todd Howard himself. This time coming from Kind of Funny Games, who did a nice 45, well, 49 minute long interview and asked a number of questions, both from their cast and from people who were writing in questions. And man, did they have some interesting questions like, can you put a hat on Vasco? Turns out, no, but I'm sure somebody will mod that in. Uh, so there's a number of questions. Some of them are maybe the kinds of things that, uh, let's just say, a certain contingency of the Internet might get upset about. And some of them, uh, for the most part, are all I don't know, expected, but very uh, clarifying. Maybe that's the best way to say it. And when I talk about, let's just get some of this stuff out of the way. When I talk about some of the things that some people will be upset about, there was rumor and speculation and questions going around about ground vehicles or mounts. Will we be able to land our starship, get out of it, and then maybe launch a vehicle to use to transport ourselves around whatever area we're in? Or will we be able to, say, tame an animal, put a saddle on it, ride it around to get around faster? And the answer to that is no. Starfield does not have ground vehicles or mounts, but that's where the backpack comes in. And if you go down the line of improving the backpack, you can use that to get around very well. And Todd mentioned that it is particularly interesting on low gravity planets, so... Clearly, there are different gravities on different planets. That is confirmed. But not only that, you can probably fly around pretty well with your backpack and you don't need a ground transportation vehicle. So I have some thoughts on this. I think that this is I mean, some of you will find this hilarious because we didn't get vehicles in Fallout. We've never gotten vehicles in Fallout. We don't really have mounts in Skyrim. Uh, it's, it's the sort of thing that's par for the course when it comes to Bethesda games. But I think you have to look at it from a developer standpoint. Obviously, Todd wants to put things in the games that people want. But at the same time, they have to balance that with gameplay. 
And if you're landing on a location and certain things are certain distances away, but they're not too far, things are being auto-generated, it's easy to get around, then adding in vehicles complicates that. You probably don't actually need to go that far. And then, like he said, you'll probably be exploring the area around wherever your ship is and then getting back on your ship and flying to another place. So the need for ground vehicles just isn't really something that's necessary in order to enjoy the game at the pace at like the cadence of exploration that they're shooting for in this title. So that getting that out of the way, we don't need to worry about that. I guess I'm going to trust. Oftentimes I will trust the developer, especially somebody like Todd Howard with a history for being able to design gameplay loops that work and feel good. That's true. You, You might have, Thing qualms, let's just say qualms about Starfield or Fallout 4 in particular, certain things about Fallout 4 people didn't like as much as some of the other Fallout games, Fallout 76. But when it comes to the actual gameplay loop of exploration and discovery, that usually feels really good. So I'm going to take his word on it for now. I, I think there's no reason to be skeptical until you see that there's a reason to be skeptical. So, uh, and some people will say, well, yeah, sometimes Todd says things and it doesn't come out the way. And I think sometimes people just also misrepresent what he's actually saying and take it out of context. So let's move on from that. Let's go through the list here. Oh, and by the way, if you want to read through this, this is an article that is up on starfieldinsider.com. I've summarized all of this in one quick to read article. Go to starfieldinsider.com, subscribe to it if you'd like to get updates. There will be lots of updates over there as well about gameplay stuff and lore and all sorts of other things. All right, so let's go through some of the other things that we found out. So here's a question. What percentage of planets in Starfield have life? Turns out it's 10%. There's 10%. So one out of 10 you'll land on, you'll actually see life forms running around and moving around. And this has to do with actual space actual real world lore real lore Uh, in space around planets there is a section that is called the habitable zone and this is a zone that is most likely to contain liquid water depending on some other variables as well anywhere outside of the habitable zone can't have liquid water at least not on the surface it could be underneath the planet if the planet is has a core that's active like for example there's assumptions that maybe pluto has liquid water underneath the the surface like the crust because the inside of pluto is actually still very active but what this means in the long run is that about 10 percent of planets around any star system is are going to be in that zone and also have the variables and components potentially needed for life so they're going on the current numbers on that in order to create something that's actually very realistic so that also means that if you fly to a planetary system and you look at the bands of planets around it the planets really close to the sun or the planets really far away from the sun much less likely to have life if you're looking for creatures go to the ones in the middle or at least the ones in a specific band. Now I have to wonder, do we get like a readout that shows us these things? Like this is the band where life is, or do we just individually scan the planets and then there's the thing that pops up and says, yeah, this one has life or this one doesn't. So it's probably more of the second one, but just something to keep in mind. All right, what about the biodiversity of the planets? Dave and I were joking about this, the idea that maybe it's gonna be like Star Wars and every planet just has one singular biome, like this is the forest planet and this is the desert planet. Turns out some planets have single biomes, some planets have many. It just depends on the planet, which is actually really cool because that gives variety. You don't know what necessarily what you're getting every time you land on a planet. Okay, speaking about biomes, what about weather and environments? 
Do we need to choose specific clothing? Do we want to make certain builds around being able to deal with certain weathers and environments and things like that? And it turns out that, yes, your spacesuit and the things that you decide to equip can have different effects on what's going on with the weather and environments. For example, radiation on some planets are, is much higher than it is on others because it doesn't have an ozone layer or an atmosphere to help reduce that radiation, or maybe it's closer to the star. So you have to make sure that you are equipped properly in order to survive in certain kinds of situations. But of course, there will be other planets that are much more habitable and less dangerous to the individual for just walking around places much more like Earth. All right. What about when you've gone to all these places and you're scanning all of the locations, you're collecting all the data, you're doing kind of the no man's sky thing, right? You go to a new place, you scan all the all the animals, all the plants, the rocks. You get all this information. You scan an entire planet. Is that good for making money? Turns out, yes, it is. This is something that you can do. If you're somebody who just enjoys exploring and cataloging everything, you can do that. And then you can turn that into a source of income for doing things like building your outposts and buying starships and things like that. So if you're on these locations, what about dealing with aggressive species? Now, this is a question I put on Twitter on the Starfield Lorecast Twitter account. I posed the question, do you think we're going to see and he doesn't answer this question in this, but so I just want you thinking about this before I get to what he actually says, but do you think we're going to see an invasive, aggressive species that is multi-planetary? Uh, something like xenomorphs from Alien that seem to move around and be invading different species. I don't know that we have an answer to that yet. What we do have an answer to is, are some of the species more aggressive than others? And the answer is yes. In fact, he has noted that during testing, sometimes they will be exploring a location and there will be a bunch of dead other animals around. And that's because the simulation running behind the scenes played out the scenario where an aggressive creature killed everything in the area. So you're going to know, oh, maybe there's something dangerous around because everything's already dead. So that's kind of cool. Now, when pressed about this, he also see, they, they said, is there going to be some big bad monster that everybody knows about? And the answer seems to be kind of was like, well, yeah, there's some bad ones out there. Oh, and there's that one really bad one. But I can't say more about that. What does that does? Are those are those like xenomorphs? Are we talking like death claws in space? What's going on there? So it seems like there's more to these aggressive species than maybe we're being told right now, which is exciting. All right. Let's talk about companions. And one of the questions was like, hey, you've got all these companions, all these different people you're putting on your ships. And do you need them? What if you want to go solo? Turns out you can. You can be a solo space pirate. I don't know how successful you'd be by yourself, but yeah, you know, solo explorer, somebody who doesn't want the other characters, the other NPCs around chatting with you all the time. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I play something like Fallout 4, I would rather go it on my own or just on my own with, say, dog meat. And I don't really want the other people there all the time. Uh, sometimes I want the people there and I want to be playing through their stories and learning more about them and all of that. I guess it just depends on what I'm looking for. And they've designed the game around being able to do either. So, yes, there are even perks that allow you to play solo more easily, just like in some of the other games. And I would imagine that if you just wanted to bring like Vasco with you, that could be an option as well. So... Yes, that is that is possible. Now, what about if you have mm, a particular companion like uh, the adoring fan or maybe one of the other ones that you just don't like so much? Or maybe you're just testing the limits of the simulation to see if you can take out your companions. Well, 
he didn't answer the question on whether they were like key characters that just took a knee kind of like some of the other games i'm guessing a lot of them are but what he did say is that you can you, you can't really make them say walk the plank but you can send them off you can tell them to go away you can put them on another starship that you aren't using very often and just kind of let them be over there send them off to an outpost somewhere so there are ways of getting rid of your companions if you don't want to spend time with them actually killing them not really answered so we'll have to wait to see about that uh, another question about companions and crews included the idea of well is it possible to run a crew entirely of robots what if you don't want any human beings or any biological creatures with you what if you just wanted a robotic crew and this answer was particularly interesting because Todd thought for a moment he's like well technically that is possible but the majority of the companions and the characters that you interact with are human but that doesn't mean that Vasco's the only robot so there are other robots that you can interact with, bring on board your ship, and then pilot it and do whatever else with you. And maybe not pilot it, but, you know, manage parts of the ship with you. So this makes me think about Fallout 4. You've got a number of different robots that you can bring around as companions, and some of them have storylines, and some of them are just the, the autom automatons that you create. But the number of robots compared to the number of biological people, you know, humans, ghouls, and super mutants, is very low. So I have a feeling it's probably similar to something like that. But that then what that means is that we can't just like go to every space station we land on, buy the next astromech droid and stick it in there and then just have like a whole crew of droids running around, kind of like, you know, some sort of Star Wars ship. So it's built more around the companions being there for interactivity purposes and friendships and things like that. And less about just manning a crew full of robots seems to be what I'm gathering from that. Um, now, we know from the Fallout games that many people really enjoy the music from Fallout. The Fallout music is very specific to early and mid-century uh, American music, rock and roll, jazz, the kinds of things that were popular from like the 30s through the 60s. Um, there's also radio stations in Fallout games where you have Three Dog being your, ooh, you know, your host and, and talking all of that. And everywhere you go, where you go in Fallout, for the most part, you can listen to whatever radio stations your Pip-Boy can pick up in whatever location you're at. So you can constantly have the music playing. You can constantly have that host talking in your ear while you're doing other stuff, feeling not quite as alone. So the question was, are there radio stations in space? And he said, there's one on one location. So my thought is that that plays into a like a quest line, maybe a side quest somewhere. Maybe there's a radio host similar to three dog in a location like one of the cities and you get the radio so you can hear what's going on with that but not in space it doesn't seem like as you're traveling around from planet to planet you can just tune into whatever radio station you want to tune into which makes sense because technologically that wouldn't work very well radio waves move at the speed of light because they are electromagnetic waves and any uh, radio station you're playing on any planet is only going to get as far away from that planet as light speed allows, uh, which actually isn't very far when planets are multiple years or decades or hundreds of years apart uh, from from each other, according to the speed of light. So there you go. No radio in space. All right. Let's talk about uh, ships some more. If you're a pirate and you want to go steal a ship can you just 
steal it and then upgrade all the parts and just kind of like take that over. It turns out that yes, pretty much any ship you want to steal, you can take and then you can upgrade the parts. You can pull the parts from it, put it on other ships, do things like that. But what about it being a stolen ship? Are you going to get like scanned by the law enforcement of certain planets as you get near certain colonies, places like that? And it turns out that it does seem like that might be a dangerous thing that you need to register your ships if they are stolen. So you have to somehow find a way to claim them. Now, is that through some sort of black market? I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike, where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc source that like scrubs the history of the ship and who it originally belonged to or is there a way to like buy it outright or maybe you only use the pirated ships when you're out in deep space but when you're flying back to the colony you better take one of the other ones details on that still pending but that does seem interesting because it plays into the way that uh, you could potentially get in trouble for being you know it's that whole uh you could go around and seal everybody's ships but there's limitations on that it's a it's a cost uh reward kind of thing so we'll see how that plays out now what about the shipbuilder? How does that work? Well, we got some more information about that. So first of all, any of the ships you come across in the game, you could have built with the shipbuilder. So it's similar to the idea that like any of the NPCs you come across, you probably could have designed in the character builder, any of the ships you could have built in the character in the in the shipbuilder. So if you see something out there and you want to don't necessarily want to steal it, but you want to use that design, you could build that. That's a thing. It's it's how the tool works, and it's probably similar to the tool that they actually use to design all these ships to begin with. So if, if it's not exactly the same one, right? Like maybe they just used it themselves. Um, what about customizing these ships and really getting into that side of things in the game? 
is this something you can do really early on? Is it something that's going to be a little bit more expensive and develops over time? And his answer to that is it's more of an end game thing. It is expensive and more becomes available as the game goes on. So I would imagine that this is a lot like building your settlement in Fallout 4. At the When that first opens up, it doesn't open up immediately, then it does open up, but it's very limited based on the kinds of things that you've collected so far and the, the stuff you have to build with. You don't have a whole lot if you haven't been going around collecting everything yet, breaking stuff down. But the longer you play Fallout 4, the more of that stuff you acquire, the more you can build things out or go look for specific materials on purpose in order to build specific things. And this seems to be true for both the starships and the settlement system, the outposts. The outposts also is something that, according to Todd, we're going to dive into deeper. It's a very deep system. You're gonna have more resources and money in order to build that stuff out later. You can use the outposts in order to make more money for you. So for example, if you build an outpost on a planet that has a lot of natural resources, and then you equip it with the kinds of tools and machines in order to extract those resources and then bring in companions or other NPCs to manage those things to increase the amount of resources you're getting out. And then you go sell those resources. And now you've created this basically money loop where you're just making money from your outposts. So you invest a lot, you make a lot in return later on. Um, it didn't, he didn't say anything about making money with your starships, but I would imagine if the starship's free and clear and you can sell it, you could probably make money off of parts that you're not using and other parts from other ships that you get as long as you clear them or maybe sell them on the black market. He didn't say anything about that. I'm just speculating that that seems that feels like the kind of thing you can do at a Bethesda game. So I wouldn't be surprised. So eventually the questions came around to technology again. People have been buzzing about this whole it's stuck at 30 frames per second. We're not going above that. Sometimes it'll hit 60, but we want to create a experience for people as they have said, that is consistent and uh, will give them the best gameplay experience. So a lot of people are upset because they're like, well, we got the Xbox Series X and the PS5 generation and they were saying everything's going to run at 120 frames per second at 4K. And how come that's not the case? Uh, uh, hey, friends, the um, those systems currently have GPUs in them that are like four or five years old at this point. And uh it's very difficult to even run modern games at 4K on a PC with a 4000 series NVIDIA GPU. That's still something that doesn't run everything above 60 frames per second consistently. And that's like, for example, a 4090 is almost a $2,000 GPU. It's, it's at least 1600 bucks and the prices have gone down a little bit, but it is, it is I mean, that is a, you could buy four or five consoles for that much money. Um, yeah. Technology's not there yet. They're designing a game that in the future on future consoles, because they know we're going to be playing this game for a decade plus, will run at a faster frame rate. And if you have a PC that can push it, it'll push it at a faster frame rate. But in order to create a game that has all of the goodies in it, all the flexibility we want to do the things that we want to collect all the things to throw 200 sandwiches on a table to do all of this then with the current hardware, they have to lock it at 30, which is the same frame rate that the majority of their games ran at. In fact, I believe all of their games, all of their modern games ran at on the consoles of the generation that they were released on. This is par for the course. And so if you take that into consideration, you go, okay, well, Skyrim ran 30 frames per second when I first played it on my 
Xbox or PS3. Um, and that was fine. That was fine with that back then. That was that was fine. And then Fallout 4, same thing. And Fallout 4 def- definitely has some frame hitches, which is part of why I think that they're pushing this whole, we're trying to make it 30 consistent. So you've got that. you got to take that into consideration. It's not the hardware's fault. It's not Xbox and their fault for this not being able to run at a higher frame rate. The technology's old at this point. We're, we're actually getting close to the end of this console generation, which is crazy to think about. Um, but he did allay some of the concerns with information about how you can make 30 frames per second feel as smooth as possible, which is true. I mean, think about it. Some 30 frames per second games feel janky and some of them feel really smooth. They're never going to feel as smooth as 60, but some of them are smooth enough that you don't really think about it. And he was saying that they've learned a lot about doing that, reducing controller latency, uh, using things like um, uh, motion blur and some other technology in order to, to smooth this out. So I think that's where we're going with this. And I, again, I'm going to trust his his words on this because I think that the truth is they've been working on those things. Now, I will say, again, don't expect it to feel like 60 frames per second or to look like 60 frames per second if it's running at 30 it will run at, I expect, based on these words, that it will run at a good 30 frames per second where it will feel good compared to most games that run at 30 frames per second. If you want 60, it's time to build a PC and do a big upgrade and invest a lot of money on it or wait till the next generation of consoles come out and then upgrade. But I think we're all going to be playing it now and then the enjoyment of it will continue to extend into the future. So that's my take on all of that. Um, and uh, and I'm also somebody who not only plays on PC with my nice upgraded stuff because I, I do a lot of these kinds of shows. I want to play all the different games. You know, I want I, I need that hardware in order to maximize my ability to stream and do other things. But at the same time, I still have an Xbox Series X. I still have a PS5. I still have a Switch. I've played Tears of the Kingdom. I know what that game feels like. And the frame rate that they're barely able to keep up with most of the time is not even 30. So I get it. I I totally understand. And yes, absolutely. I would rather have 60 frames per second than 30 if possible. But I'm not willing to give up like they aren't willing to give up the ability to steal 200 sandwiches and throw them on the table and the game still doesn't crash. Um, Again... That's yet to be seen. We've seen it in footage they've showed us, but we're just going to have to wait and see. What does that actually look like? What does that actually feel like? And um, I'm I'm on their side. I, I want to do all the things, and I want to do all the things for the next 10 years. I don't want to be playing this game in five years and be like, well, the frame rate's really good now, but they took out all this other fun stuff I wish I was able to do. Um, that does not create a long-lasting game. So it's it, oftentimes in dev world you're between a rock and a hard place you have to make a trade-off certain amounts of energy (laughs) power rendering all of that stuff is very limited towards what you can and can't accomplish depending on the systems that you're including and the gameplay you want to create so this gets us into modding what about modding and todd said specifically quote starfield is a modder's paradise they know that we are still modding skyrim they know we're still modding fallout new vegas and oblivion and morrowind like they know that this increases the longevity of their games that this brings us back not only as individuals but as people who talk about the cool thing they're doing in the game and then tell their friends 10 years later 
and they know that the modding community is going to support this. They're one of the what they're one of the earliest developers. They id software valve a number of these developers helped or at least were okay with modding their games and it created so much other content and wonderful experiences and increase the longevity of the games. So they know what they're doing. They're 100% in support of this. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't monetize it. That seems to be where this is going, right? You can mod and then you can have them officially put it on Xbox for you other people to load into their game and use or whatever. Uh, But I also think that there's probably going to still be a kind of Wild West modding scene out there that doesn't necessarily do that, especially on PC. So if you're looking for... What seems to be currently the experience with the other games, I think you're going to see a lot of that in this as well. But the fact that he says it's a modder's paradise leads me to believe that they are probably developing modding tools. He doesn't say that. Or at least they are leaving things open enough and easy to access by people who understand how to get into the code and adjust the game that it's not going to be difficult for people, people who want to get into modding and adjusting the things adding hats to vasco whatever it's going to be relatively easy especially if you've done this before on other bethesda titles so that's what i expect with that let's talk about uh companions one more time there was a question about how many are romanceable turns out it's four or four romanceable companions which i think is fine you look at a game like cyberpunk 2077 there's only so many romanceable companions and to me, that's a that's a, a, again a whole like cost reward thing. If you had lots and lots of romanceable companions, then you would have to boil down the stories and make it less interesting because you'd have to do more of them. So limited amount of resources. Let's make four really good ones, and that leads you to maybe replay the game and try a different romance, or maybe you break away from this person and you go with this person. I don't know how flexible that is. Uh, maybe you get together with two of them. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how the space romance works. Uh, but I'm again, waiting to see what they do with this. And I think for some people, the romance options are very important. They're the kinds of people who play through fallout four and they fall in love with one of the characters. And they really just want that to be like a real thing because they're really role playing in that world and they really feel something. Um, but a lot of people don't. So it's one of those things that's there. But like many other systems, whether you're a builder, whether you're an explorer or whoever, there's stuff that's there, that's there for you. And then there's stuff that you might just want to visit and check it out a little bit and then move on to something else because the game is gigantic. And speaking of gigantic things, on to the last, the last key question here, that, or at least the last key bit of information that I gathered from this interview. Are there black holes in Starfield? Black holes are things we've proven that they exist. They're out there. And they're actually very common. Uh, Todd passed on the question, which makes me wonder, why would you pass on that question? And we know that there's something going on with gravity. We know that there's something going on with these alien artifacts and and being able to bend space time in order to move forward. And he was talking about how the grav drive kind of works like that. So this is an answer to actually, I guess there's two answers left on this episode. One of the things we were speculating on, on one of the previous episodes was how does the grav drive work? And it turns out that it doesn't necessarily create a wormhole, but it does the whole thing like a warp drive concept from, I believe it's either Star Trek or Star Wars, or maybe both of them work this way, where you are, it's almost like you're shortening space in front of the vehicle and lengthening space behind it. So space itself is pulling your vehicle forward rather than 
you actually having to go through that space. You're adjusting the, the length of space itself. And I know that's crazy to picture. Look up some uh, YouTube videos, some science YouTube videos about how that would work. There are theories out there about how that could be physically possible given the right amount of energy and a, uh, you know, uh, a machine that was able to do that. Um, but that seems to be how you're, tra- how you're traveling around that has something to do with manipulating gravity. Manipula- manipulating gravity seems to be something that whoever this alien civilization is had something to deal with. The little teaser at the end of the direct shows you using gravity abilities to make everybody in the room float. There's gravity stuff going on. What says gravity more than black holes? Because black holes are gravitational holes. They are stars that have gained so much mass that they break the fabric of space-time and they create this hole that even light can't escape from. So there's still a mystery. Maybe they're part of the mystery of Starfield. I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. Thanks for tuning in for this episode. I'm so glad you are here. Welcome to any of our new listeners. I'm so excited to be getting into actual details. If you haven't gone back and listened to the early episodes, first of all, I'm so sorry for those. Second of all, you're welcome. Um, They are ridiculous and full of all sorts of terrible speculation and bad humor uh and if you're into that sort of thing go back and listen to those if you're into actual facts star facts actual facts about stuff that's coming and the lore stick around with us here and uh we're going to be bringing you more stuff next week we'll be back with another episode about aquila city some more location lore so excited for that and uh we'll see you next time stay safe out there in that galaxy bye everybody Listening to the podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this show. Did you know that parodies are copyright protected? Tell a friend and review on iTunes or other services. Dave and Tom excited for Starfield. Let's all speculate and wear no shoes. Why aren't we wearing any shoes? Because shoes rhymes with iTunes, and that's the best I could think of.